Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Well, this morning we're just going to jump into our series. We're in the middle of a series on the names of God. We call this series the I Am Series. And the, one of the goals of the series is that as we look at God, that we would also see who we are. So first we would set our eyes upon God and see who is God. And in light of that, we would then ask the question, well, what are we and who are we in light of this God? And so we've looked, for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at two names of God. The first one being Elohim, the creator God, this God that is there in the beginning, this God that exists in community with himself, this God that creates and loves to create and brag about his creation and, and say that it's good, this God who knitted us together in our mother's womb and who, who's in deep relationship with us, this God who sends his spirit to live with inside of us and grows and is creating new things within us daily and, and providing new inspiration for us as we face each day and as we face the trials of this life. And so that's, that's this Elohim. And then last week we uh, looked at Elohim Kedoshim, which is that God is holy or holy God and how God is holy because of his good power, because of his great power and his good character. And that because of God's great power and good character, he is a holy God. And he is a holy God because, because of his great power and his good character, he provides ways of inviting us into relationship with him. Instead of his holiness creating the separation, creating this place where he's over here and where we're over there, God's holiness actually does the opposite. And he says, because I'm holy, I'm going to act on your behalf and I'm going to create a way that we can be in relationship with one another. And so we've been looking at that and how we are in relationship with God because of who he is. And this theme is going to continue as we look today at the word Yahweh, which is kind of like the name. It is the name of God. And it's referenced over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. And so um, this name is uh, kind of three letter, four letters long in the Hebrew. It's uh, Y-H-W-H. And so there's no vowels in the Hebrew language. And so um, back, in the, back in the first temple period, the priests and the people would say this name. They would pronounce this name. There was a pronunciation of this name, and people knew it, and they knew how to say it, and they would speak the name of God. Now, over time, the Jews began to fear the name of God to the point to where they said, we're not going to say that name anymore. That name is too holy. That name is too sacred. And in fear of breaking the first commandment of having no gods before them and speaking the Lord's name in vain, they're like, we're just not going to speak it anymore. And so over time, we have lost the true pronunciation of this name of God. And the best that we can come up with is Yahweh as we supply the vowels ourselves. Now, another way that this word can also be rendered is Jehovah. And so you might have heard Jehovah and Yahweh. And <laughs> to be completely honest, up until I looked into this thing, I thought Jehovah was one name and Yahweh was another name. But in reality, Jehovah and Yahweh are two pronunciations of the same word. And so if you uh, take the Y and make it a J, um, which we do in German and English, and then if you take the W and make it a V, um, which we also do um, <laughs> in kind of early English, uh, you end up with Jehovah instead of Yahweh. And so this is where kind of the two names originate from. And in, the <laughs> in this kind of ancient Israeli practice of the name of God, they would just kind of refer to it as the name. It is, it is, it is the name. And that's kind of all that they would 
kind of refer to it as. But what we find in Scripture is that this name is kind of the all-encompassing name of who God is. When we look at this name of Yahweh, what we find is that, is that he is a God who exists. He is a God who is near. And we find that he is a God who acts on behalf of his people. And so when we look at this word Yahweh, that's what I want us to kind of walk away from this morning, is that he's a God that exists, he's a God that is near, and he's a God that acts. And you might be thinking, well, of course he exists. Like, duh, we, that's what we're here. We're here to proclaim that God exists. But when I say that he exists, what I mean is that, is that he is self-existing. The word Yahweh simply means to be. And so the word I am, or the, the series that we're in, I am, is fitting as this word Yahweh just means I am. And so what I want us to do is I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 3 and see where God really reveals this name of Yahweh to his people. Now the, now the word and name Yahweh appears early in the Bible. It appears initially in Genesis chapter 3, I mean Genesis chapter 2. You'll see, um, if you look at the second creation account that we have in our Bibles, you'll see that it's the Lord God, the Lord God. The Lord God said this, and the Lord God said that, and the Lord God did that. That's, that is actually Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. And so yes, this term Yahweh is here in the beginning, but the place where we see God really reveal it and really kind of explain his existence and who he is and that captures this idea of a God that is, a God that is near and a God that will act on behalf of those people we find in Exodus chapter 3 with the story of Moses encountering God through the burning bush. And so I want to start this morning in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said this, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into the land that is good, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Presbytes, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression for which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? Moses is asking an identity question. He's asking, Who am I that I could go and do this? And God, instead of replying to Moses about who Moses is, he replies with who he is. And he says this, he says, God says to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers... Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. He said... <coughs> Who am I? And he says this. He says, I will be with you. And you shall be the sign. Sorry. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. That when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. And Moses says to God, If the people of Israel say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all 
generations. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear God, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who exists. You're a God that you make yourself known, and that you are near, and that you act on behalf of your people throughout all of history. So God, I just pray this morning that wherever we have hurts, wherever we have needs, wherever we need you to be near this morning, wherever we need you to exist this morning in our lives, and whatever we need you to deliver us from and act on our behalf, God, I pray this morning that you would do that, that we would know your freedom and that we would know the joy of being in deep relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. And so we see here that God, is, as he introduces himself to Moses, that he is this I am. He is this, he tells Moses basically like, I exist. And in all of me, I exist. I exist on my own. And if you think about that, that's really kind of profound. That before all of creation, before, if we go back through all of history, God exists. He is there. It's kind of an impossibility to wrap our mind around. And if we go all the way into the future, God exists and he is there. And God exists outside of us. He exists outside of creation. God does not need food. He does not need air. He does not need sleep. There's nothing that you and I need to continue to sustain our living that God needs. God doesn't need to be in relationship with us. And when you think about it, when you have a being that is all-sufficient, that is satisfied within himself, that has no other need outside of his own, who has no selfish or or anything that he could gain. And you have that being there, if there was a person that had kind of all there is to have in life, for that person to then choose to spend time with you would really say something about how much they value you. It would really say something about how much you mean to them. Because God doesn't gain or lose anything from us. But God's heart is set on being near to us, about spending time with us. He says, I've created you and I call you valued. And so because God has created us and because God has value on our lives, we are valuable. And that's what I love about this conversation with Moses is that, you know, Moses says, who am I to go and do this thing? And God says almost like, yeah, you're right. You on your own, you're not, you're not sufficient to go do this thing on your own. But guess what? I am. I am. And so then tell them that I am has sent you. Tell them that I am with you. Tell them that this name Yahweh is the name that is to last forever and to be remembered throughout the generations. God is great in his power and he's good in his character. And this is what makes God a holy God. God is a God who wants to be known as God over all things. And in this kind of introduction to Yahweh as the I am, it doesn't get any bigger or bolder or more powerful than that. And we see God display his power over all of creation, over all of the universe, as he sets the people of Israel free from the people of Egypt. When we go to the plagues, we see God exercise his authority First, over the waters. He turns the water into blood and he p- lets frogs come out from them. Then we see him 
take over the land. We see that he is God of the land. And then towards the end of the plagues, we see him shift as he takes and he makes the sky dark, that he is the God of the sky. And so God is sending this message to Egypt that I am. I am the God of the waters. I am the God of the land. I am the God of the sky. And then it ends with the tenth and most tragic plague where (laughs) he comes and kills the firstborn of Egypt. Here he's saying, I am the God of life. I am the one who gives you breath and who gives life to your bones. And the beautiful thing is that in this, God comes incredibly near to his people and he provides a way for his spirit to pass over them. He provides a way out of the slavery. He provides a way where if we submit and exclaim and say, yes, God, you are. Because that's essentially what the question that that Moses is asking Pharaoh every time. is like, are you willing to submit to the I am? Are you willing to submit to the God of the waters, to the earth and to the sky? Are you willing to give up his people and submit yourself to his rule and his authority and to the people of Israel? He constantly says no. Until eventually God breaks him and he says yes. So this is our God that is, that exists, that is the I and that is found in Yahweh, but he's also not just this distant God. He's not just this all-powerful God over the earth, water, and sky, distant being, but rather he's a God that comes incredibly near. <coughs> if we look at this, if we look at um, this passage and how he addresses Moses, he says that he sees them, and he hears them, and he knows them. He says, Surely I have seen the affliction of the people who are in Egypt. And so he sees what's happening to them. And then he says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. So not only does God see what's happening to the people, but he hears the cry of these oppressed people. And then finally he says, I know their sufferings. There's no way that a God who is separate from his people, a God that is out there, is able to see here and then ultimately know. I mean, this knowing is deep. This knowing says that I am with you. This knowing says that I am experiencing alongside with you. It's not just this like cursory knowledge knowing, but it is this like, I have known it. And so he's like, I'm with you. I'm with these people. And I'm here to now act. And so not only does he come near, not only does he know, doesn't he just say, I'm here with you through the suffering. Oh man, isn't it hard? But he actually does something about it. He does the thing that the people of Israel could not do for themselves, and that was to set themselves free from slavery. Even though the Israelites outnumbered the Egyptians, even though the Israelites were strong in physical strength because of the work that they've done, they had no imagination, they had no creativity, they had no place where they ever thought that they could rise up against the empire and set themselves free. And they probably would be unsuccessful in any attempt. But here comes Moses, and here comes the God who says that he is and displays his power as God over all things, but also says that I have come near and I know you. He says, here I'm going to lead you out of this place. He says, I have come to deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring you up into a good land a broad land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. 
when we look at this name of Yahweh, and when we look at the context in the 6,000 places that it's used in the Old Testament, this name is often used in a place where God is highly relational and is, and is often at work doing the work of redemption and salvation for his people throughout the history of time. And so when we say the word Yahweh, we say the word Jehovah, it's a loaded thing. We're proclaiming that God is great, that he is the God of gods, that he exists before all time. We proclaim that not only is he the God of everything, but he's the God that's incredibly near. But we also say that he is the God who saves and acts on our behalf in places where we are unable to act upon ourselves. And so this God acts throughout time and is with his people Israel throughout 4,000 years of history. And then eventually we get to this place where Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus, the Son of God, shows up. And when he is born, he is given this name, God with us. And so again, through Jesus, we see that God is the God who comes near. That this Yahweh has a purpose of coming near to his people, of seeing his people, of hearing his people, of knowing his people, and acting on their behalf. And so Jesus begins this ministry when he's 30 years old. He begins seeing evil, and he begins confronting it with his holiness, with his great power and good character, and he begins casting it out. And he begins healing the blind and, and healing the sick. And he begins breaking all the rules around how that's all supposed to be done. And the rulers of that time, the Pharisees, they come and they confront Jesus in John chapter 8, and they kind of begin asking this question, by what power are you doing this? They recognize that he is unable to do this power by himself, that it's coming from somewhere. And they're like, by what power are you doing this? They're like, most certainly it has to be a demon. Definitely a demon. And Jesus is like, no, do you not know my God? Do you not know my Father? Like, if you knew my Father, you would know me too. And they're like, well, our Father was Abraham. And Jesus is like, no, if you knew Abraham, you would also know me, but clearly you don't know Abraham either because before Abraham, I am. And what I love is that he uses this present tense instead of this past tense. I mean, normally we would expect, before Abraham, I was, is what we'd expect the text to say, but instead he says he uses this present that says, before Abraham, I am. He says, I was there. And the Pharisees, they miss this profound statement that Jesus is making. <laughs> and they, they quickly go to, how does this man who's not even 50 years old claim to know Abraham? And he's like, because I am. And then they get it. And they want to kill him because he's committed blasphemy. They're like, by no way are you doing this by the power of God. By no way is this God come near and God lived with us and God using mere man to to heal the blind and heal the sick. No way is this, are you the Messiah? And Jesus kind of walks out unscathed. You see, through Jesus, he is a God who does come near, but in his coming near, it's kind of offensive. It's kind of startling. It's kind of crazy to think that the God of the universe would actually take on human form. The God that existed before all of creation would make himself finite. But that's what this God does. He counts the cost and he comes near. And not only that, but he acts on behalf of his people. 
this claim that he is the I am, this claim that he is all-powerful is affirmed through Paul in Colossians 1, 15-20. He says this, he says, He is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things held together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is in the beginning. He is the firstborn of the dead, so that everything might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him he reconciles all things to himself, whether in heaven or on earth, by making peace by the blood of his cross. See, Jesus not only came to come near, but he came to act. And he acts through the cross. And so this God of Yahweh, his first act is this act of salvation through the tyrannical oppression of Egypt to redeem and set free this people in Egypt. And the second act is through Jesus Christ, the great I Am, this Yahweh of a God who comes near, who is all-powerful, who holds all things together, and who gives his life up, not for a physical slavery, but that we would be set free from a spiritual slavery, one that is our sin and that ultimately leads to our death. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would submit to him, that we would turn to him this morning with our sin, with our baggage, with the places that we don't have freedom in and of ourselves, that we cannot produce on our own, that we would turn to him in humility and say, God, set me free. That we would cry out to him, that he would hear the oppression of the sin in our lives. And that he would come running to save us from it. Because our God is a God who wants to come and make us whole. Our God is a God who wants to restore all things. And our God is a God who at the end of the day is going to be making all things new. And I believe that he does that in real ways, in real people, in real time with us. And the cool and exciting thing is that not only does he do it in us, but he also invites us to participate in that work with him. Because not only is it through Yahweh the Son does God come and act in these ways, but it's also through kind of this Yahweh the Spirit. Jesus says that I'm going to come and in you, you are going to do greater things than this. You are going to do greater things than me. And so the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 1 and he fills his people with power. And guess what they're doing? The same thing that Jesus was doing. They're walking around, they're healing people. They're healing the sick. They're healing the blind. They're casting out demons. They're restoring what is broken. And they've entered in this place where they have partnered with the God who is relational, with the God who is near and the God who acts. And they begin doing his work with him and for him. And this is what we have as believers. We have his spirit in us to go out as ambassadors of reconciliation. And reconciliation is hard, hard work. Because if we're going to really do the act of reconciliation, it often means that we have to identify something that is broken. And where there's broken, there's often pain. And where there's pain, there's often a need for some forgiveness. Where that pain has to be absorbed, there's a place for grace and understanding. 
There's a place where we have to necessarily be on the bottom and be uncomfortable and allow Jesus to heal our wounds so that other people's wounds can be healed. This act of reconciliation, although it might seem kind of glamorous at first, is like, we're going to restore the world. It kind of requires getting dirty and getting yucky and seeing kind of the darkest side of things before we can then point people to the lightest side of things or we can point them to this place of restoration and healing and things being made whole and known. And so one of the ways that God reveals himself, that Yahweh reveals himself to Moses, I think it's incredibly profound to Moses and I think it's incredibly profound to us today and I think it's incredibly important to the work that God has inside of all of us that he's creating inside of all of us to go and do. And so it's from Exodus chapter 4, Yahweh, this unchanging constant God, this God that is the God of the past, the God of the present here today, and the God of the future. He's unchanging. This is what God says that he is true about himself as he passes before Moses in all of his glory. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, or you could say Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgressions and sin. When we look at this list, these words, all these words are relational. God says, I have come to be in relationship with my people. And the relationship that with my people, the words that I'm going to use to define that are going to be words like forgiveness, words like grace, words like slow to anger and steadfast love. And I believe that these are the relational words that God has for us to bring forth into the world. And I think that these are the things that the world really needs and is really longing for. I don't know about you, but I need people that are slow to anger with me. I need people that are more gracious with me. I need people that are willing to forgive me a thousand times over. I need that. And that's who our God is. And that's what our God has come to do for us in Yahweh, in Jehovah. That's what God has called us to go and do for those that are around us. And so because God is relationship, we are in relationship with him. I believe the whole world is in relationship with him, whether they want to be or not. And his grace is there, whether they want it to be or not. I believe that because we're in relationship with him, we are known that we are not alone. I believe that this truth is powerful. Because I don't know how many times that I've sat as a Christ follower, as a believer, as a pastor, and I felt incredibly alone and incredibly insufficient. And I have to be reminded that God is there. God is near. And God is completely sufficient in and of Himself. And so it's okay that I'm insufficient. It's okay for me to be like Moses and be like, God, who am I? And he says, no, look at me and see that I am. And know that I am with you. And that I am near. And I'm going to do this thing that you can never imagine. And so because God is 100% sufficient in himself, we can be 100% dependent upon him to save us, to heal us, and to sustain us. And those are easy words to say. That's an easy thing to say. But man, when you're looking at it and you're, you're feeling completely inadequate, 
when the cupboards are bare, when the bank account balance is below zero, it's hard to feel like God's doing any of that. But we have a God who is. And we trust that he is working in that and that he's working through his body and through his people to come near to us and to save us in ways that we could never imagine. And so what do we do? I think that first we have to worship the God who's near. One of the goals of this series is that we would see God in all of his greatness and that we would just worship him. And so that's one of the challenges as we look at this name, as we look at the name, is that we'd be moved to a place of thanksgiving and worship for who God is. And the second thing is that I think that we need to walk and know that we are free. That we, like the people of Egypt, have been set free. We just need to go. And so my question this morning is, what's holding us back? What still has hooks in us? What are we still not free from? And what do we need to bring to the author and perfecter of life to be set free? And then finally, how do we live a life that's in community with one another? I believe that we're here and that we're called to live a life of vulnerability, a life where we do this thing together, where we embody family, where we embody this place where we are gracious with one another, where we're slow to anger with one another, where we're abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness towards one another. And this is a hard work, and we're completely inadequate to do it by ourselves. If we try and leave this place saying, you know what, I'm just going to be more forgiving, more grace-filled this week, it'll last through Tuesday. Maybe Monday. (laughs) This afternoon, (laughs) Brett You know, but what we need is we need to be able to rely on the I am, the one who is, and allow him to be the source. I mean, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And I believe it's through this place of abiding that we tap into the real strength, the real power of what it is to be a follower and believer and child of God. And I believe that it's by living these things, by living this graciousness, this slow to anger, this abounding steadfast love, by by living these things out with one another is how we will know God more and grow in greater knowledge and experience with him. And that's my prayer for us always, that we would just know him more and that we would experience him more in real tangible ways in our lives. So we're going to now enter into this time and space where we can worship him, where we can kind of meditate on him, where we can do some abiding, where we can do some resting, where we can partake in the Lord's Supper. So on the right and the left, you can take the cracker that is the body and dip it into the juice that is the blood of Christ and be reminded of the God who came near, who came near in a son, and who not only came near and knew us, but also acted on our behalf and saved us through the giving of his body and through the giving of his blood. So let's remember that this morning as we worship together. And so we're going to spend some time worshiping and anywhere in those three songs, you know, whatever you need to do. If you need to to praise God and sing with all you got, if you need to pray and meditate and allow God to heal some places where you need to step into freedom, if you need prayed for, come and find me. If you need to take the Lord's Supper and just meditate on that, um, just know this space is open um, for you to meet with God and experience Him this morning. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you are a relational God.
Thank you that you are Yahweh and Jehovah. And God, that you see us, that you hear us, that you know us, and that you have acted on our behalf, and that you have set us free from the things that we have no strength of our own to conquer. So God, this morning I just pray that we would humbly come to you and that we would experience your love, that we would experience your grace, that we would experience and know your forgiveness. And that we would know what it is to live off of your substance that just is, instead of our inadequacies and our fallen shortness, God. God, may you fill us up and make us whole. God, may you renew us in the joy and the fullness of life so that we can partner with you in all that you do. God, restore this world through your spirit and through your church. In your name we pray. Amen.